Myth is like manna. It is to each man a different dish, and to each the dish he needs. This is Pints with Jack, Season 5, Episode 57, Surprised by Myth, After Hours with Justin Wiggins. Good morning, everyone. Pints with Jack is your favorite weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where Andrew, Matt, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. We've had a busy season so far, discussing The Four Loves, Ecumenism Month, Apologetics Month, A Severe Mercy Month, and this month we've had some episodes about The Horse and His Boy, and we're wrapping it up by interviewing a number of authors, including today's returning guest, Mr. Justin Wiggins. Justin Wiggins is an author from North Carolina who has the distinction of being our first guest on Pints with Jack. All the way back in Season 1, Episode 34, he came on to the show to talk about his book, Surprised by Agape. Matt and I had the opportunity to hang out with Justin when we attended the 2019 conference in Montreat, and we were part of that legendary night when a small group of us hung out with Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham, on the steps of his house and polished off a bottle of VAT69. A little less than a year ago, just around the time that my son was born, he released a new book, Surprised by Myth, and he's here to talk to us about it today. Justin Wiggins, welcome to Pints with Jack. Thank you again for having me on Pints with Jack, David, my friend. Not a problem. How have things been with you since uh, we last saw you in Montreat? Uh, well, things have been quite well. Work has been good. I have been enjoying good Inklings nights with friends, such as we had in Montreat in 2019 with Doug Gresham, Jerry Root, and friends. I uh, finished co-writing Surprised by Myth with Grant Hudson of Clarendon House Publications. have had a few poems and short stories published by Stephen Lester Carr of Sweetie Cat Press, uh, also an epistolary novella called Marty and Irene that a friend did the cover art for, and a book called Tiernanog that is a collection of poems, stories, and essays about writers from Ireland, Scotland, England, and America. Both books were published by Steve Cott of Impspired. He's from Lincoln, England, and does a lot of good work and uh, a lot of good charity work and publishes writers and poets all over the world. And in September, September and October of 2021, I finally made it to Ireland and Scotland and was back in Oxford for a day. And I got to spend my birthday in Dublin, Ireland, which was one of the best <laughs> days of my life. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> now we're recording this early in the morning, so I needed caffeine. And I snuck out of bed to discover that my wife had got up a little bit earlier and already made the tea. So that's what I'm drinking. Oh. <laughs> Do you have anything to drink? <laughs> yes, it is a type of instant coffee called Medallia Doro, which is actually pretty good. How about yourself? What are you enjoying? Uh, I think this is Irish breakfast from the taste of it. Oh, the twi- Twinings Irish breakfast? Uh, no, there's another brand that we can get here in Wisconsin. But it's a large breakfast, still delicious. And I was just going to say, some people might turn up their nose at you drinking instant coffee. One of my favorite coffees back in England, it was fair trade, instant and decaf. And yet it was still my favorite. So just to to you naysayers out there, instant coffee can actually be good. (laughs) Yes, I concur. Well, cheers. Cheers. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been on the show before, but it was a long time ago. And so for newcomers and for those of us with poor memories, uh, could you just please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I am originally from Eastern North Carolina. 
uh, after high school, I went to Pitt Community College, East Carolina, then East Carolina University. I uh, went there for about a year and didn't finish. So after that, I did barista jobs for a few years. In 2015, I was invited to Montreat College for ACS Lewis Tolkien Inklings event, and I had never heard of Montreat College. So I came to the Inklings conference, and there I met Colin Durier and Dr. Don King. And in 2017, I decided I wanted to go back to college to finish my bachelor's in English literature. And honestly, the only reason I moved five hours away from where I was living at the time is just so I could take a class on C.S. Lewis taught by Don King. The goal, of course, was to finish my bachelor's, but being able to take the course on Lewis by Don King was the only reason that I moved. <laughs> <laughs> and I finished at Mon I finished my bachelor's in English literature at Montreal College in 2018. And that last semester went to Oxford, England for the first time. It was my first time flying on a plane in my life, which was life changing. It was that same year, my first book, Surprise by Agape, was published, uh, which was a dream that became a reality, thanks to Grant Hudson of Clarendon House Publications. And since 2018, up until now, I've cultivated a good community here in the mountains of North Carolina. I love the landscape. I enjoy the jobs that I have and find great joy in writing, cultivating my craft, promoting my friend's art. And... I am immensely thankful for all the opportunities that I've had with being able to write different books and living out my faith by grace and loving people of all worldviews. Well, in the foreword of your book, Grant Hudson explains how this latest book, or at least the latest one that we're talking about here, how it came about. Would you mind telling us your own version of the story? Yes. So in 2020, Grant Hudson proposed the idea for a book inspired by MacDonald, Tolkien, Chesterton, and the Inklings. And of course, I told him that I would be honored to co-write this book with him because he's a, a Yorkshireman and he has been reading and writing about Tolkien and Lewis and MacDonald, Chesterton and Sayers and Barfield longer than I've been alive. <laughs> um, so I jumped at the opportunity. And so over the next year, we both wrote essays inspired by these amazing writers, and I sent out emails to uh, Dr. Don King, uh, Doug Gresham, Christine Norvell, who you've also had on your show, Patty Callahan Henry, who you've also had on your show, the Scotsman David Jack, uh, Carolyn Curtis, and Stephen Beebe, and other friends asking if they would endorse it, which I was immensely thankful that they all agreed to. And the book was published in autumn of 2021, which was a few weeks after I got back from Ireland, Scotland, and England. Which So it was incredibly exciting to have that to look forward to when I got back from the UK. <laughs> and your book is a series of short essays. How did the two of you decide which of you was going to write about each subject? So Grant suggested that I write about particular important themes in Lewis, Tolkien, and MacDonald that I found important uh, about the profound influence these writers have had on my writing and my faith, how the writings have changed my life, and rich experiences I have had meeting all kinds of wonderful people in the Inklings community, such as yourself, 
and what it has been like getting to visit some of the places where these incredible writers were born and where they lived. And once I did that, Grant did a brilliant job of editing the book and compiling the essays together in a coherent narrative. Mm. And what is the narrative or what is the main thread through the book which connects all of these essays? So the main thread of the book is that myth is something universal to humanity that Christ, the great storyteller, uses to speak to people by conveying certain theological truths, by baptizing their imagination, and is something which helps them find meaning and hope in him. From oral storytelling tradition, from ancient primitive days to the paperback and hardback book, to graphic novels, film, music, visual art, and different art forms, myth is transcendent. And as we had talked about before the first time we had uh, you had me on your podcast, art is an incredible way for people to encounter the agape love of Christ. And in fact, art was something that played a huge role in my conversion from agnosticism to Christianity about 13 years ago through the influence of the musician John Foreman and the writings of C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald. And a very good example of this unifying thread of the book is that wonderful conversation that Tolkien and Lewis and Hugo Dyson had in September of, was it 1929 or 1931, where Tolkien knocked that chronological, and Dyson knocked that chronological snobbery out of Lewis and showed him that this dying and rising God pattern, you know, from Balder from the Norse mythology or Adonis from the Greek mythology, Osiris from Egyptian mythology actually comes true in the story of Jesus of Nazareth's incarnation, death, and resurrection in the first century. And I love Lewis's essay about that called Myth Became Fact and Tolkien's powerful essay on fairy stories. Great. Well, let's turn to some of the essays themselves. Uh, you cover a very wide range of topics, and I'm not going to be able to hit them all. But you had two that I thought were rather personal. Uh, the first is about your visit to Lewis's home, the Kilns, which I have also visited, and it's really fun. Uh, yes. Would you mind telling us about that a little bit? Uh, so it's always incredibly exciting getting to visit the home of your favorite writer whose writings have changed your life. And I still remember that day very vividly. I was with Dr. Don King, his wife, Gianna King, and four other students on a trip to Oxford, England, which was a sort of short 10-day study abroad. And I remember riding in a van from Oxford to Headington and getting out, and I felt like I was on the threshold of Narnia. Uh, the <laughs> Kiln, Kilns is a very beautiful home. Uh, we had a wonderful guide. She was incredibly kind and friendly, and it was. it felt like I was in a thin place, if you will because this was the place where Lewis wrote so many iconic works like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Four Loves and the O'Hell book, the Space Trilogy, Till We Have Faces. And when I was there, I was reflecting on what those days must have been like 
when Lewis was writing these iconic works that we all love so much and memories he made there with his brother, Warney Lewis and memories that his stepson, Doug Gresham made there with his mother, Joy Davidman and Lewis and Fred Paxford, the Marsh Wiggle who inspired <laughs> the Marsh Wiggle and the silver chair. So it was an incredible honor getting to visit the kilns. I found it incredibly inspiring and I made it a point to include what that experience was like in Surprised by Myth. Mm-hmm. And the other personal essay related to you seeing a production by the Logos Theatre. Now, I've long admired their productions, but unfortunately never been able to attend. Uh, I have emailed them a couple oh. of times saying, please tell me that you're recording these. <laughs> yeah, we can sort out the copyright later. I just need to know that these are recorded somewhere. Uh, but uh, what was it like to see their production of The Horse and His Boy? Wow, Nick and Nicola Stratton have done a brilliant job with the Logos Theater and the fact that Doug Gresham came all the way from the, you know, his home in Malta to see the horse and his boy being performed over a weekend, I think speaks volumes about the kind of work that they do. Um, I found the acting, the music, stage props, the horse puppets, and the Aslan puppet all made for quite an amazing show. They really captured the spirit of the book and I was blown away. I marveled at the incredible job and it certainly roused that Zinzuk joy that Lewis wrote so poignantly about and surprised by joy of many of his other books. Mm-hmm. I particularly liked the animals because that is not an easy thing to do when you need to have talking horses on stage. No, it is not. Now, we read The Horseness Boy this season, and so I've spent a lot of time uh, thinking about it recently. Uh, after having seen that Logos production, do you have any tips for Netflix when they come to adapt the Narnian Chronicle? Uh, well, the one tip I would have for Netflix is to not incorporate any wokeness, <laughs> but to stay true. <laughs> but that might be stay true. Yes, uh, indeed. But to stay true to the book's and the literary legacy of C.S. Lewis. And that is the one thing that comes to mind. And hopefully Netflix will make all seven Narnia books. The last time I emailed Doug Grisham about it, he said it was a very slow process and he just left it at that. (laughs) Yeah. I I also heard in the production, they filled out some of the backstory a little bit. You heard a little bit more um, about each of the children particularly Aravis. Yes, that was added to the Zinzuk that was roused because, as you know, that book is very, well, it really captures the Nordic spirit, if you will, to to Narnia and the North. And the characters that played Aravis and Shasta really capture those characters from the book. So it was quite... Nice how they tied in that uh, extra background information on that very Mm. important character in the story. (laughs) Now, for the rest of our time that we've got, let's talk about the essays that you wrote where you speak about people who helped shape Lewis and his thought. And the first one of those is George MacDonald. Now, we had Dr. Kirsten Jeffrey Johnson on the show this season to do our first introduction to George MacDonald, which I'm very ashamed that it took us this long to do. But I have... uh, I've sworn that next season we will have a McDonald's month. 
What did you say in your essay about him in The Legacy of George MacDonald? Well, first, I should like to say I really enjoyed that podcast interview you did with her. She's a, an incredible George MacDonald scholar, and I uh, really enjoyed hearing you both talking about the literary legacy of MacDonald. So in my essay, what I tried to capture was the importance of his influence on C.S. Lewis, and I believe that in order to really understand Lewis, uh, one needs to read George MacDonald because he called MacDonald his master and he had a really powerful experience of reading MacDonald's wonderful and peculiar, strange, fascinating fantasy book, Fantasties, which was published in 1858. So what I really tried to do in that essay was to delve into the sad reality that MacDonald is not as well known as he he should be. For example, I was once in a local coffee shop called The Drip Later here in downtown Black Mountain, where I live, and I met these really nice people from Scotland. We struck up a conversation and talked about different writers, you know, Robert Burns and Sir Walter Scott, Robert Louis Stevenson, and when I mentioned George MacDonald to them, they told me they had never heard of him. Oh. And I, I found it absolutely baffling. <laughs> I was, yeah, it was, it would be like growing up in Russia and never hearing of Leo Tolstoy or Fyodor Dostoevsky. Mm. Um, so it is frustrating to me that McDonald is not as well known as he was in his own day. But what I have, and in in the essay I wrote up a bit about how encouraging it is that through word of mouth, through C.S. Lewis conferences, um, literature courses at different colleges, um, the work that Kirsten Jeffrey Johnson has done, and also the work uh, Michael Phillips has done, um, and also my Scottish friend David Jack has done through the works of MacDonald. They've done these. They have done these wonderful translations of his Scottish novels, which. What David does, he translates the Doric language to English, and they have these beautiful illustrations with it. And his Scottish novels are quite good. Uh, my favorite of his works are his fantasy books and his fairy tales and his poetry. And so in that essay, I really tried my best to honor the literary legacy of this great Scotsman who I believe everyone should read. (laughs) Yes, I have been working hard to try and fill that gap in my knowledge. And I know a lot of people love his, his fantasy. I love his straight out teaching, unspoken sermons. Absolutely brilliant. Those are very powerful. My favorite of all the sermons from that book is the one called Child in the Midst. Uh, Mm. And there's a quote, when I first read it, it brought tears to my eyes. And I'm wanting to try to get this right. I remember the quote, which he says, that man is perfect in faith, who can come to God in in the utter dearth of his feelings and desires without a glow or an aspiration in the weight of low thoughts and say to him, thou art my refuge. Wow. Uh, <laughs> talk about someone who had an incredible understanding with his heart and mind of the agape love of Abba Father. Mm. 
Well, let's move on from George MacDonald and talk about Lewis's wife. You have an essay on Joy Davidman Lewis. Yes. Joy was a very brilliant writer and poet, and Lewis loved her deeply. She loved him very deeply as well. In that essay, I wrote about why people should read her and the influence she had on Jack Lewis. In fact, it was because of her inspiration that he ended up writing Till We Have Faces, which he originally had the idea for as a poem when he's a young atheist, you know, years later after his conversion and he's married to her. I believe at that point he felt like his creative abilities were starting to wane. And I believe it was in a letter or maybe it was in a Colin Durier book on the Inklings where I remember Lewis and Joy Davidman having this a whiskey and a conversation about the book and that conversation inspired him to finish Till We Have Faces, which is many that's uh the favorite work of fiction by many people of Lewis. And I find it really moving that he dedicated the book to her. In the essay I also mentioned the fact that Joy Davidman played a huge role in him writing The Four Loves and Reflections on the Psalms, and she also helped edit the O'Hill book, and I believe believe Surprised by Joy. Mm -hmm. And for uh, also mentioned that her book, Smoke on the Mountain, which Lewis wrote a forward to, is worth reading, as well as Dr. Don King's book of her letters that he compiled called Out of My Bone, and who you've also had on your show, Patty Callahan wrote an amazing book called Becoming Mrs. Lewis, and no one else has written anything like it. It is a novel, and in that novel, she captured the feisty, intellectual, brilliant woman that captured the heart of C.S. Lewis, and I was moved to tears of joy when I read that book, and I think everyone should read it. I think that book is particularly good because it gives you a real flavor of what joy was like. Because I read Becoming Mrs. Lewis and then I went back to read her letters and her poetry. And we're going to be talking about Out of My Bone uh, a little later uh, this season. Brilliant. And it was, it's funny hearing the same voice. The, one that you, the fictionalized voice that you've heard in Becoming Mrs. Lewis, you then go back to her letters and poetry. And there's definitely a very, very clear echo that that you encountered in Patty's work. Yes. And I think it's actually in her letter that she talks about the night when they kicked around an idea that that Jack had been thinking about with regards to what would become till we have faces. Yes. I really enjoyed the podcast interview you had with Patty and um, I'm glad you really enjoyed the book as well. And for readers out there, I would also recommend her most recent one called Once Upon a wardrobe. A wardrobe. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah. And you also mentioned O'Hell there, uh, the, his uh, Oxford history of literature in the 16th century, excluding drama. Yes. Very catchy title. <laughs> I picked that up a month ago at our local library for a dollar. Beautiful hardback wow. version. I know. I'm just telling everybody. I need that, people to know. That, <laughs> that is amazing that you found that for a dollar. So I had a not such a pleasant experience in the past when I found it. So I had the most violent 
form of food poisoning that I ever had in my life, which was, it was awful. And the next day, I, it actually took about three or four days to recover. But the next day, I was at this antique shop and I was just browsing around and I found a first American edition of it for $2. Oh, I see, I got a half price. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I couldn't pass that up. I've I've perused through it. It would probably take about a year to read through. It's quite dense and it's amazing and fascinating. And and the bits that I've read of it, his Lewis's zeal for myth and incredible writers like Milton and Dante and Shakespeare are in it. But it is not written in the vernacular, so it, it a book would be quite a quite a. Quite an intense experience to try and finish. <laughs> yeah, I've also heard he he covers quite a lot of the ideas in the Reformation, given the era of literature that he's mm. talking about, and that particularly interests me. So I've actually scheduled my reading of that between the end of this season and the start of next season. So uh, uh, I hope it doesn't take me a year. I'm going to have to knuckle down and just get through it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brilliant. But let's move on to the next person that you speak about, uh, and. On my wife's podcast, Pints with Chesterton, they are just about to start The Man Who Was Thursday. Oh, and that's a great book. You wrote an essay called The Humor and Wit of G.K. Chesterton. Yes. So Lewis led me to Chesterton after my conversion, and there is no other writer that makes me laugh as much as he does. And in that essay, I tried to capture the importance of Chesterton's influence on Lewis and what I found fascinating when doing research is even when Lewis was a atheist he still said he appreciated Chesterton's goodness and found his writing to be very good but the most important work that he read which influenced his understanding of the incarnation which whereas before to him someone's life 2,000 years ago didn't really make sense to him and he couldn't make heads or tails of it and the everlasting man had a very profound influence on how the incarnation is the this you know dying and rising God pattern coming into fulfillment in time and space and the everlasting man I would say is Chesterton's masterpiece of course I've I've I uh, had friends tell me they think his biography on St. Francis of Assisi is his masterpiece, his biography on St. Thomas Aquinas, which I haven't read that one, but I really enjoyed the one on uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And orthodoxy is, of course, incredible. And uh, so what I tried to do in that essay was to capture how Lewis came to love and appreciate the wit and humor of the great eccentric G.K. Chesterton, um, one of my favorite quotes of him poking fun at chronological snobbery is fallacies don't cease to be fallacies because they become fads. <laughs> yeah. He had some amazing <laughs> one-liners. <laughs> and I'd encourage listeners, if you want to know more about Chesterton, we did an episode back in season four. It's episode 67. We did it with Alan C. Duncan when he went to the Wade and went through Lewis's collection of Chesterton's works and started looking at the annotations. 
Um, that was that was really fascinating. And wow. if you really want to know more about Cheston, there is a Cheston conference at the end of July in Milwaukee. And you may or may not see some podcasters that you know presenting there on a panel. Wow. I'm, I'm going to be there with my wife and her co-host. And we're going to be talking about Lewis and Chesterton and about their use of narrative to communicate truth. Oh, wonderful. Now, moving on. Owen Barfield. Now, this is an inkling that continues to fascinate me. We had a Barfield month uh, a couple of seasons ago, and you wrote an essay entitled Owen Barfield, Language, Science, and Theology. Yes. So what did you make of this guy? <laughs> ah, so Owen Barfield was a very dear friend of Lewis, and in that essay, I tried to capture the great war that they had. And I can only imagine how fierce some of those philosophical debates they had were, you know, about the origin of human consciousness and um, was, is there some kind of creator or, or cosmic force or something divine or is, is materialism true? Um, and how can we, we know what about Jesus of Nazareth and his claims and other different worldview perspectives? So <laughs> I can only imagine what those conversations must have been like. Um, but one of the things I appreciate about Barfield is he knocked the chronological snobbery out of Lewis, that very arrogant, rationalistic approach to truth, which makes the claim that what can only be explained in an empirical box is truth. And Barfield really needled Lewis on that. And Lewis came to realize, oh, yes, this is chronological snobbery, the up-to-date philosophy, which tries to claim it's truth, capital T. And what I also tried to capture in that essay is the fascinating reality that Owen Barfield was an anthroposophist, which is a very interesting... <laughs> Hard to define. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Hard to understand worldview. Yeah. It's an esoteric spiritual worldview founded by Rudolf Steiner. And Lewis was horrified <laughs> when Barfield became an anthroposophist. And I think it definitely caused a bit of a strain in their friendship, although they were good friends. But, um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, Barfield was uh, um, embraced faith in Christ later in his life. He became an Anglican uh, mm -hmm. towards the end of his life. When I've spoken to Barfield, scholars and fans, they say that he, he never ceased being an anthroposophist. He just found a way of having that coexist with what you would call more orthodox Christianity. Yeah, so sort of kind of a syncretism. Yeah, yeah. and also it made his wife happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's interesting. He was the, Dr. Don King once told us in his C.S. Lewis class what it was like for him to actually get to meet on Barfield when he was doing research on his first book on Lewis's poetry in the 90s, and he contacted Owen Barfield, and he was staying at a nursing home uh, in England, and he went and met him, and he when he, he said when he walked in the room, it smelled like pipe tobacco, and there were <laughs> all kinds of different books all around the room, and it was as if nothing had changed. You know, he's just gotten much older, but he was the longest – uh, he was one of the the one inkling that lived the longest. Mm -hmm. uh, he lived in, in 
I think it was in the 90s when he passed away. And in his later years, he went around um, the states and gave talks on on Lewis, and um, which I'm sure were really interesting. And his most important books, which I have not read, sadly, uh, Poetic Diction and Saving the Appearances, were hmm. uh, fascinating books on language and spirituality and imagination and reason that both Lewis and Tolkien praised. And he, he also wrote a fairy tale called The Silver Trumpet, if yeah. uh, I, th- I believe I'm getting that title right, which mm-hmm. I haven't read, sadly. I've only read some of his quotes and um, that Colin Durier um, mentioned in his biography, as well as Humphrey Carpenter's important biography on the Inklings and Diana Glyer's um, Bandersnatch. Yeah, Barfield is is one I'm still wrestling with. I, I think there are some fantastic ideas that he's got squirreled away in there. And we've had a lot of good Barfield communicated to us through Lewis. And I think I think there's more gold in that mine. Absolutely. I have very little doubt. And he seems to be stalking me. This is this is my conclusion, because I keep picking up books. I keep finding him being referenced by people who have read Poetic Diction or Saving the Appearances. And and they're pulling out one of the things that he says there. So yeah, I yes. there's 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 more work to be done on him. I think. Yeah, same here. I, I look forward to reading his works at some point. Well, let's move from the first and last inkling of Owen Barfield to the oddest inkling. The next one is Ooh. Charles Williams. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> what can you even say? Go for it. <laughs> uh, yes. So in that essay, I tried to capture the great bond of friendship between Williams and, and Lewis. And when I first read about how the friendship started, I was really moved when I read from a letter Lewis wrote to someone I can't quite remember. He had read a copy of The Place of the Lion, which I've read. It's this really strange, fascinating <laughs> book about platonic archetypes and the book of Genesis set in modern England, which all of his books are set in the modern world, but they were called, I guess you could call them supernatural thrillers or theological shockers. And Lewis loved the book. Um, I, I found it interesting. Uh, Charles, Charles Williams writing style can be difficult to get into. And Lewis loved it and wrote to him and Williams the Allegory of Love, which was Lewis's first major work of literary scholarship that was published in 1936. And so those two books began their friendship. And Lewis really was a bit obsessed with them, I suppose you could say. Uh, and I think Tolkien was maybe a bit a bit frustrated about their bond of friendship. And uh, he also didn't like... <laughs> Uh, the more occult side of William's life, if you will. I don't know if Lewis knew about the complexity of that. And from what I know, Williams early on in his life, I don't know if he was up until he died. He was part of uh, an esoteric group called the Order of the Golden Dawn. That is a form of theosophy and Rosicrucianism. And they would have these very private rituals. Um, it's all kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very odd. I I haven't read the 
any biographies on Williams save the chapter Colin Duryea has in his book about the Inklings, which I found really fascinating and enlightening. Um, the Zaleski book on the Inklings, uh, that one's really good. That was that was my uh, real my, that was my first substantial introduction to to Charles Williams. And it's funny because I was speaking to somebody the other day because next season we're going to be doing Out of the Silent Planet. And so I went, oh, the the, uh, the Ransom trilogy. I really love the last book. And I know that, that one is heavily influenced by Charles Williams. Yes. And they were also saying how much they love Till We Have Faces. And again, the last part of that, it's it's got Williams written all over it. Uh, so I, I suggested, well, if you're feeling brave, why don't you go and read some of Williams and see if you still like it? <laughs> yes, I, I found it really amusing that Tolkien said the he enjoyed Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra, but did really not like that <laughs> hideous strength because of the influence of Williams. Yes, he's very interesting, fascinating, and very strange mm. individual. Um, and the book that you referenced, is that the one called The... The Fellowship, The Literary Lives of the Inklings? Yes, I think so. It's the unfortunate thing about a lot of Lewis and Inklings books. The titles are really similar. <laughs> yes. But I remember it was the Zaleski book, and it was beautifully written and very enjoyable. Yes, I really enjoyed that one myself. Um, so as far as other Williams books, uh, I really enjoyed The the Greater Trumps. Uh, which involves tarot cards. That's all I'll <laughs> say about that. And the other book is called The Descent of the Dove, and I really enjoyed that. And what he tried to do in that is expound on his view of co-inherence, which you could correlate mm. that to the communion of saints or the reality where you take on an, another person's pain. And through that, you are partaking in the sufferings of Christ. Mm. And that is my favorite idea of his, because he really yeah. takes it very seriously. And St. Paul talks about carrying one another's burdens. And William seems to go, okay, we're going to take that as uh, face value as we possibly can. And then there's the wonderful story that is recounted mm. in... Paddy's book and elsewhere about Lewis praying to be able to take on some of his wife's suffering. And as her bones begin to receive calcium and she goes into remission, he'll start losing them as his osteoporosis develops. Yes, I found that really moving as well. And just like you said, it's interesting how that experience that Lewis and Joy Davidman had correlates exactly to Charles Williams' view of co-inherence. Mm. Which, and which you also correlate that to uh, St. Paul's first century uh, letter. Mm. Well, the last person that you'd speak about is Dorothy L. Sayers. Now, I only know about Dorothy L. Sayers because of Crystal Downing, Dr. Crystal Downing at the Wade Center, because yes. she brings her up all of the time. Uh, and you wrote about the eccentric Dorothy Sayers. Why was she eccentric? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, she loved her cigarettes uh she loved going about on a motor scooter um <laughs> she dressed in uh not really the typical style of the day and so some people found her uh, uh attire really weird is the word you're looking for <laughs> yes 
<laughs> yes. So in that context, I would say she's very eccentric. Um, and in that essay, I tried to capture the important friendship that was between her and Lewis and how Lewis loved her play the man born to be king, which mm-hmm. he read every Lent, if I'm not mistaken, which I suppose Dr. Downing and Colin Durier would probably say is her best work, The Mind of the Maker, which I, I actually have not finished that, but the bits that I did read were very good. And in that book, I love how she writes about how art and, and daily life and work and imagination all correlate. And no matter what your work or vocation, you can glorify Christ in that and her emphasis on the importance of art. As far as her detective fiction, I have not read much of it. I started one of the Lord Peter Whimsey books, which is interesting, but honestly, I enjoy Chesterton's Father Brown stories more. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What I can remember, Warney Lewis didn't really enjoy her Lord Peter Whimsey books, though. I think Lewis did, if I'm not mistaken, but she was a fascinating individual. She was one of the first women to receive a degree from Oxford University. She did some advertising for Guinness, which I was delighted <laughs> to <laughs> to read about because it's my favorite beer. And mm-hmm. I'll say slancha to that. And she worked at Blackwell's Bookshop and wrote some wonderful detective fiction and some wonderful plays that were um, performed on the radio and the mind of the maker. And she was a dear friend of Lewis's. And even though she was not present at the Inklings meetings that they had at the Eagle and Child and at Lewis's rooms at Maudlin College, she was still part of their group and in fact it was a letter of hers that inspired lewis to write his book miracles which i believe is one of his best i I really love that book and i find his arguments in that book very powerful and convincing Mm. yeah i think dorothy says she was the only non-inkling to be invited to contribute to the collection of essays in honor of charles williams indeed and uh share this wonderful experience when I was actually in Oxford back in October of 2021. I got to see my friend Colin Dury again and his wonderful wife, Cindy Zudi. She's a brilliant storyteller herself. And Colin's biography on Dorothy Sayers had just come out, which I highly recommend. And it is called Dorothy Sayers, a biography, Death, Dante, and Lord Peter Whimsey. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. she Wow, she translated uh, Dante's The Divine Comedy. That's amazing. She loved his work, and, and she loved Chesterton and MacDonald. But what I remember that day that still stands out to me is uh, Colin and I got a picture outside of Dorothy Sayers' home of him holding a copy of Surprise by Agape, which I was honored. He would ask me to sign it. You know, he's this <laughs> incredible inkling scholar that's been reading and writing about these writers for over 30 years. And I was holding up a copy of his 
wonderful biography on Dorothy Sayers, which you gave to me as a birthday gift. So I remember that very vividly, and it's a very special memory. And I highly recommend his biography to all those out there. Wonderful. Well, as we wrap up our time together, what's next on the horizon for you? Ah, so I'm currently working at Barnes & Noble in Asheville and actually at the Montreal Conference Center where I first met you and, and Matt in 2019. Um, looking forward to going to the C.S. Lewis Oxbridge event at the end of July. I'm going on a work scholarship. It will be good to be around kindred spirits and to see old friends and make new friends and um, help out at the event. And it, while I'm there in the UK, I'm looking forward to going back to Ireland and Scotland. And I'm currently working on a fantasy novel that I believe is going to be called Peter and Bridget. And Carrie Stout, who is a wonderful visual artist who does a lot of good work for the George MacDonald Dort English Translations, is doing the cover art. So I've been working hard on that, and the next book that is going to come out hopefully in July or August is called Celtic Twilight, which is sort of a companion to Tirnanog, and it's inspired by Celtic mythology, Celtic spirituality, the Irish poet William Butler Yeats, John O'Donohue, C.S. Lewis, of course, uh, George MacDonald, and Seamus Haney, and it's a book of stories and poems and essays about particular writers I am fond of. Uh, it will be published by Steve Call of Impspired. Um, uh, an Irish poet friend named Jerry White is going to endorse it, and also a, a writer friend named Jim Bates that lives in Minnesota, as well as another local um, uh, writer friend who's a local author named Henry Mitchell. And the cover release will be shown, hopefully, in... A few weeks, which I'm incredibly excited about. Um, I feel so supportive. Um, I'm sorry, supported, and I'm immensely thankful that people are anticipating reading it. I uh, just need to actually finish it, and then there's the editing process. So I've been really excited about that. Wonderful, Justin Wiggins. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> as i hear the final call for drinks where can people go to find out more about you and pick up a copy of surprise by myth uh, so they can go to clarendonhousebooks.com and they will see my writer's page which has links for surprise by agape and also for surprise by myth and also it's on amazon there is a kindle version and a paperback version wonderful thanks again to justin for coming on the show Thank you all for listening, particularly our patron supporters, especially our top tier supporters, Angela, Deborah One, Deborah Two, Marvin, Joel, Thomas, Anonymous, Bill, Joanna, Snort, Bud, Shane, John, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt, Kelly, Chris, John, James, Kate, Peter, David, and Rowdy. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and check out our website, pintswithjack.com, for more information. And please join us next time when we'll continue going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.